Hey, I'm Robbie Kramer. You're listening to the Leverage Podcast, where we discuss using your social skills to hack dating, travel, finding your dream job, and becoming a complete man. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Leverage Podcast. I'm here with my buddy, Andrew Lindy. Uh, Andrew Hola. and I have been, uh, been friends for, I guess it's been almost a year. A really interesting guy. I'm super stoked to have him on the show. Um, a little background on him. He's a fashion photographer and travel photographer who became famous for a web series called The Travel Bum. Um, and that was devoted to learning dating customs, social dynamics of different cultures all around the world. It had tons of views, millions of views, and inspired many men to grow a pair of balls. I certainly remember watching it before I met him and, and just thinking, wow, this is a fucking hilarious, awesome show. Um, he's also a dating coach. And uh, he's he has a specialty in using 25 years of meditation to help men and women break out from their sense of interpersonal anxiety around others. And he's currently working on four new shows. One's called The Andrew Show. It's a lifestyle vlog with the intro stating that he moved into a five-star hotel with 10 bucks in his pocket, uh, rock star DNA, and a promise to be a millionaire by the end of the year. Uh, I've seen the intro to that. It's super interesting. Cool. Got a lot of questions about that. Um, and then the three other shows. One's called Behind the Scene and reveals the real lives of Instagram models and personalities. Uh, smoking Hot is another one that features hot girls smoking psychedelics while exploring consciousness, love, and relationships. And Baytime Stories is a how-to course that looks at what's going on and going wrong in the bedroom for this generation. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at Andrew Lindy, and uh, there'll be a link to that in the show notes. So, Andrew, welcome. Thank you, man. Wow, I'm listening to that. I'm like, I want to meet this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds amazing. <laughs> How totally. often do you have somebody intro you like that? <laughs> right? It's, it's kind of funny. I always feel super embarrassed when you know I'm getting introed or for a public speaking engagement or a podcast. Is I'm always like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. oh, oh, okay. <laughs> but. Uh, so yeah, give us a little background, how you became um, such an international man of mystery. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm sure we may or may not talk about the uh, the boat trip that we were both on. We have some crazy stories about a, a trip we just got back from in the south of France. Uh, but yeah, yeah. How'd, you, how'd you get into all this crazy stuff and how do you live this crazy lifestyle? Woo! All right. Um, well, you know, just thinking of what we were just talking about, like hearing all this crazy lifestyle and at the same time feeling, wait a second, I'm just me. And I'm sure everyone feels, whoa, they're just me. They're just themselves. I, I feel just like everyone else. You know, I just feel like, and so when you hear and you're doing all these things, I remember the, the artist, a musician and poet said, um, He's a, you know, he entered into the rock star hall of fame. He said, um, if I knew where the great songs came from, I'd go there more often. Meaning, book. meaning that how, who the fuck knows how anything is going on, but at some point you just start doing shit. And for me, that motivation, like where did it come from? I think it actually came from that feeling of normalcy, of, simplicity of feeling myself to be like, um, you know, 
alone in this world and feeling a lot of anxiety about like, wow, I want to know things. I want to meet people and particularly women. I mean, that was a really big driving force. I think the feeling of feeling, um, you know, so alone, it was the catalyst. Uh, mm-hmm. It was even a kind of desperation. Um, when was that? You know, it's oh, when I was 10 years old, I started having very like existential pangs where I would just walk outside my house and be overwhelmed by like literally the size of the sky. You know, this is a weird thing. Like it was, it was verging on psychosis. Um, <laughs> but I would, I would walk in, outside and feel like, wow, it's so big and I'm so little. And then I, I started just intuitively or instinctively trying to relax into that to a point where I had um, what they call in the Buddhist tradition uh, a satori or awakenings, and I felt myself and the universe to be identical, the same exact thing. But at the same time, that would go away. And then I would be in a social setting and feel um, really anxious again. I would feel like, how can I be free sometimes, feel good about myself or feel connected, and then other times, depending on how much alcohol I drank, how much, you know, how much, how close I felt with somebody, how familiar they were, how much they accepted me. So I felt like my whole life was really very much about how much people approved me, and if I got approval, then I could be myself. Mm, and yeah. and I and I said this is not enough. Yeah, I can certainly relate, <laughs> especially growing up. Um, a lot of that has gone away through all the work I've done. But yeah, as a you know, as a teenager and in my twenties, that was like everything. If I wasn't approved, then forget it. So yeah, I wanted to feel. I don't know if I wanted to feel the same, but I wanted to feel equally in control or equally able in any situation, particularly, you know, with authority and then with women that I, that weren't giving me that approval. So if I felt that they, I was dating up or chasing up, you know, to a hotter girl than, than I was used to, or a girl that didn't just think, Oh my God, gave me a wink and gave me an entry point a permission. Then I wanted to, to be able to reach everybody um, equally. And I wanted to be able to find something that was truly human in everybody or um, just beyond all of my ideas of, uh, you know, fucking terror or uh, ideas of, of, um, of inaccessibility. That's the... The essence, you know, that's the sort of the, the symptomology. That's what you see. But something in me wanted to fig to crack something at an even deeper level. I wanted to know what a person truly was, what was truly the same about everybody. That wasn't just aesthetics, looks, uh, and all the triggers that came with that. Namely, oh shit, she's way too hot. How could I ever talk to her? Mm-hmm. So um, I really sought to see what is it that was me. What am I, despite those moments of, okay, now I feel confident because I drank something. Now I feel confident because I just went to the gym and my endorphins are going and I feel uh, less afraid of talking to somebody. And let me say that all those like changing elements, all those relative things are still very real. Like if I drink alcohol, my personality becomes more limber. If, um, 
I exercise, I feel more relaxed, all those things. But at the same time, there was a constant. There was always me, regardless of whether I was feeling afraid, depressed, sad, happy. So, you know, without going into like a whole um, Buddhist philosophy, um, I really wanted to find out what is the thing that is me, that despite the changes around me, it does not change. Mm -hmm. And in so looking... I found fucking what's the same in everyone, despite the changes. And that created a real kind of peace. And, and what, what is that? Well, it's, you know, how, how do you really explain that? But there's just a, a quality of self that's a stillness that you can find in everyone that despite whatever is running through her mind, like, oh shit, I've got to get to a casting. Oh shit, um, who are you? I don't know who you are. Behind that, I could see like the soul. You know, and that really relaxed me. Interesting. You know, kind of a kind of stillness that was mine, that was yours. And even you know, if you've ever been to a yoga class, you hear that you know, Namaste. They say, I honor the the spirit in you that is the same as the spirit in me. And it's not a philosophical approach. It's really an actual feeling. Where well, I when feel- I talk to you, I feel that sense of stillness. And when I see you talking to others, so it's definitely a tangible thing. I think you've done a really good job of cultivating that. Um, and I noticed it right away when we were on the boats a couple of weeks ago and, um, and you definitely have a calming still energy and maybe it wasn't always like that is what you're saying, right? You know, um, I was always fucking like slow, (laughs) but that's a personality thing. Maybe my slowness allowed me to find that stillness. So I, you know, I don't think one's personality is an issue in terms of finding that internal depth. Well, you're but, definitely not uh, calm by any means or, or uh, you know, you're, you're definitely not boring or, or lacking any personality. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> but there is that, that, that groundedness you could say or stillness. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that the fact actually that I was rambunctious and I still am in a lot of ways, <clears throat> was itself the anxiety that forced me to look for something more stable, more grounding. Right. Whereas some people who are like, I've never been, I've always been extremes, Robbie. I've always been like crazy and had to massively reset by literally taking time away from people and just like spending time alone or actually meditating, which I do a lot of, but just clearing, resetting. Um, because probably I was out of control. And if you look at my parents, my dad is like super high energy, um, crazy, but he doesn't have that reset. So he's only as good as his, um, next stimulation, which actually, you know, without going really into too many personal things, if somebody's only relying on their next thing, you know, what's on or what, who can I go relying on social and you don't have that, especially as you get older, well, you get a lot of depression. So I've sought much more um, stability. But now that I have like a home in that stillness, I can go into the different rooms of the home. I can go into the attic and, you know, and wig out. I can go into the the kitchen and scoff. I can go and sneak into the bathroom and see who's making a pee-pee. You know, I can (laughs) have fun and play. Um and get out of it, but really know where I am at the same time. And I think that's, you know, one of the greatest um, assets to to go through life 
having yourself uh, or being grounded, being at home despite everything that's going on because shit ain't always going great. Everything's, you know, mm-hmm. you know, there's this, there's that, there's work, there's girlfriends. You got yeah, it all. You so. name it. So I, w- I have a couple questions about meditation because it sounds like you're a, you know, very well seasoned meditator, quite the uh, expert on that. I know you bring a lot of that to your coaching. Um, and uh, I've, I haven't done much meditation at all. I've recently gotten into it and I find it to be either pretty difficult um, or I just fall asleep a lot of the time, but I definitely see the value and I've been doing it more and I've, I've had maybe one or two sessions out of 30 or 40 that I've enjoyed. Um, but did you ever have that kind of kicking and screaming, uh, feeling going into meditation? And, and I, I know I'm probably on the right track because, uh, one of the things I live by is I should do the thing that I want to do the, the least, which is meditate. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just curious what, what your, uh, experience has been with meditation and how it may be morphed into what it is like now. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd say it's always changing. Every time I sit down, it can be something different. Um, because, as we were saying before, I'm naturally kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, just like going, sit! And just <laughs> was such a necessary rest point. So typically when I sit, it's like, I don't know if it's a Pavlovian thing, when I sit down and my legs cross, and I just go, ah. Oh. But then it starts, the chatter starts, you know, yeah. or the fatigue starts. If the fatigue starts, you just uh, continue through it or go have a nap and come back, Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. But but to, to get more into the the thing, um, you're, you're not going to get rid of your thoughts. And if we're wrestling with getting rid of the thoughts, that'll just be more thoughts. So you can't change the pattern itself. Um, but something happens over time where, um, you can find a resting point. Uh, that's why a good practice is really important. And oftentimes a really good teacher, whereby if you're following the breath, for example, and you're tuning, you know, and maybe another time you can tell me what your practice is, but you're finding a place that's steady despite the chatter at one point the steadiness engulfs the chatter and the chatter may still go on but it's sort of like happening within the total space and you are the total space Mm. so this this shift over is critical um realizing oneself as what one has always been which is total space and then the thoughts just arise and their identification softens. So that's sort of what we have to look forward to. But is it hard? Yeah. There's a saying in Zen, there's two hard things about sitting. One is getting to the cushion. The other the other one is staying there. <laughs> I can definitely relate to that. So yeah, I appreciate so, that. that. So if for people, for people yeah. who are really busy, people are really busy in the mind, it's not uncommon to use something that's just bigger than you at the outset to shut you the fuck up, and typically that would be a mantra. So a mantra can be used at the beginning, and then you know you do that for two weeks, check in uh, with a teacher, and then maybe you move to following the breath. And little by little, man, that's yeah. it. Little by little. Okay. Well, getting back to to your story, um, 
you know, what point did you, you know, did you ever have a normal job or what'd you do, you know, what'd you do during yeah. college and how did you become, uh, you know, this, this weird guy like me? Right. We're all so, weird, but, you know, going to, going to college, um, I got into film mm-hmm. and I went on a, um, a trip to Australia, I did an exchange program there. And I started taking photographs. I took a, a photo class there. So my, my major was in um, religious studies. Or no, my major was film with a minor in religious mysticism. So not like theology or, you know, like it was more about mysticism, mostly Eastern philosophy. But what's really cool is that within Eastern philosophy or within mysticism, the aspects uh, of Eastern philosophy are also very pre- present in Western religion. So Judaism, Christianity have mystical sides to them. So I was really into that. And because of that childhood thing, which was like, what the fuck am I? And then I read this thing that said, true self is the universe. And I was like, that's exactly what I felt when I was young. What does that mean? So I had to find out in a, in an experiential way, not in a psycho, in a psychological way, intellectual way. Anyway, but at the same time, I was really into visuals and telling stories. And I was never good at just following the rules and maybe getting into like business as my family wanted or law, uh, getting a ticket, as my mom used to say. You need your ticket. And then after that, you can have fun and play around. (laughs) But I don't know. Um, I was just so enraptured by storytelling, enraptured by the human experience. So that always pushed me to like ignore all instruction, all authority, and do whatever I wanted within um, my 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 resources. Um, so I went away. It was cheap because uh, the university in Canada would pay for your exchange program. I'm from Canada. I'm from Montreal. And um, when I got there, I started taking photos, and I was it was just like what I was doing. I was naturally framing things, and everyone in the class was like, uh, and the teacher, whoa, you have this skill. I didn't get it. I thought everyone else was able to do the same thing. And this is just a testament to how, again, if I knew where the great songs came from, I'd go there more often. There's There's something in us that is like, each of us has some natural aptitude and um, whatever it is, it's there. And I think that if we avail ourselves, um, that's sort of the, the goal in life is to find something that's the easiest flow, like the way of least resistance, you know? Mm-hmm. And for some people, you know, it's like, I'm good at accounting. So you're fucked. But <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was good um, at accounting and I liked it because I do enough of it poorly. What? So I was um, okay at taking pictures, and I was into um, travel, and I was like, okay, so that works. I got lucky, probably, that I could take pictures, and I fell in love with this um, woman, this Peruvian, German of German descent, blonde haired blue eyes, um, Peruvian refugee. Her parents, her grandparents, after the war, the Second War, moved to Peru. And then um, they, during the, the, the revolts in the 80s, um, they moved to Australia uh, from Peru. And I met her there and uh, moved back with her to Peru. Uh, it didn't work. She didn't love me. That was my first massive, or my second massive love pain. How and old I projected were you? 22. Okay. 
And at this time you were, you, sorry, go, go on with the projector. I'll go back in a second. I don't know. Yeah. I just projected like she was the, she was the smartest, most beautiful, most athletic, uh, most artistic person I'd ever met, man, woman, child. And, um, that was like in my head or on paper. And the fact that she didn't give, she didn't like me the way I liked her, that whole, uh, cocktail yep. made it so debilitating. Uh, the worst. And the um, best. <laughs> or just on paper, it was all that. But, yeah. you know, our relational values, like the way that we listen to music, the way that we related to music, the way we related to food, the way the things that moved us and our empathetic values, the way that those things sat in our hearts and the way we related to them relationally and empathetically was so different um, that it took me – well, that difference took me years to realize. It took mm -hmm. me years to realize that not having a common way of like being was a fucking huge barricade obstacle but on paper she was the hottest and coolest whatever and she was kind of like a robot and her being like a robot being that cool in all those ways but not being able to kind of jive with me yeah. um was both the the torment and the reason to to let go of her, but it took me a long time. It took it took her getting pregnant by somebody else after we had broken up. But I was still, you know, obsessed with her for three or four years. But like three or four years later, she got pregnant, and um, at that time, um, I sat down. Well, this this interview is going in so many different directions than we had thought, which is cool, though, you know. <laughs> Um, I sat down and I was like, whoa, all of my projections, all of my dependence on her fell out from the bottom. She, she had another boyfriend, that didn't do it. But when she got pregnant, sort of my territorial uh, mm. whatever fell yeah. out from the bottom. I get that. And it was a crazy moment I'll never forget. Everything that was on the outside, my environment that was determining my stability, um, my identity, uh, just um, uh, was extinguished. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I was just left with the absolute sense of myself, or the sense of I am. And that became like a flint, a flame that burned through. It was more primary. It was more it was primary beyond everything in my environment. My sense of me stayed. I'm not sure and I understand. So, like, I was so dependent on her uh, and, and many things in my environment. But it, it just it's a really subtle thing. It's like um, to have yourself wherever you go. And there's even a book that's, that's called so that. So you're wherever saying you that when, once she got pregnant – and she was no longer like an option for you. You kind of got your sense of self back. But it was so, it was like a fucking it was so intense. Yeah, it was the sense. It was like a radiating sense of self hmm. that yeah. was so powerful. And there was a story that um, I heard. It reminds me a lot of this. There was a man in, in Montreal, and um, he was. Uh, pre-retirement age but had just been laid off went to the bank to try to get a loan and um, he walked into the bank and they denied him um, 
He didn't have whatever qualifications. And he went out like sulky. And as he's walking out, um, the, uh, the teller looked at the other teller and said, that guy is fucked. He is screwed. And in that moment, the man had an awakening. There's a saying, a millionaire is poor because all he has is his millions. That's, and if he loses that, he has nothing. So this man lost everything, just like I lost everything. And in that moment, I gained everything. And I know this is very, you know, like, um, it sounds very poetic or whatever, but it was a real thing. And uh, so my, what, I don't know what your listeners are looking for, but my advice, uh, my thought there is that um, you have to you have to be at the bottom. You have to get to ground zero of everything beyond all the the contingent or dependent happinesses because your your life in that way based on dependencies is just going to disappoint. But something about losing everything, and if you've ever you know had somebody die in your family. Um, you know, or ground zero. Remember, nine eleven happened, and everybody was like, "Well, the most important thing is to go and help your neighbor right now." Everyone lost sight of like their their agenda. Yeah. You know, there was a real sense of truth or self or real meaning, and that sense of meaning is itself the thing that's going to bring you into all the beautiful, dependent, or changing or contingent things. Your arts, your relative, the relative thing. Does that, does that make does that make sense? Instead yeah, totally. Of, um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And also the the you know, getting to ground zero or going bust or, you know, th- there's a strong desire, um, especially for for gamblers. I used to be a professional poker player, and mm-hmm. it's like when you're dwindling down to your last stack of chips, or when you know that your bankroll's on the line, it's a much better feeling to just fucking lose it all. And just be like, all right, I'm at the fucking bottom, and now I can go back up than it is to hold on to that last little bit. It may not be the the uh, logically smart thing to do, but I think on an emotional level, there is a huge advantage to that. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting story that happened with, with your ex. Um, and now I'm guessing she's long gone, but you know you, you have that that nice. Uh, she did you that favor, obviously. Good thing she got pregnant. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I had real, a question about pleasure. about all the travel because uh, a lot of the listeners are really into travel. Um, so at this time, you were, you know, you're going to school for journalism or for photography. Sorry, and um, how did you, how were you able to travel all around at, at such a young age? Well, again, that there was the the school made it possible. I just had to get like a thousand dollar flight, uh, which my folks at that time helped me with. Oh, so it was only to, get to, to Australia. Uh, and the, but then you met her in Peru, or you met her in Australia. So what? Ha- here's what happened. Yeah. I met her in Australia. I met her okay. in Australia, and um, then I completed my schooling. Uh, got a cheap flight. Uh, that was I was just about to finish university, and. Um, she went back to Peru to just go and try and live there after I, uh, I finished with Australia and then I graduated and I was, and she was starting to date other guys. I was terrified. I got a ticket and I went down there and, um, we didn't work out. Yeah. So then, then I went to the three, four years of depression, but, um, I started taking pictures. I took these pictures, went to New York, uh, and had a show. 
uh, I had a, my first solo show of travel photography. And from there, I started uh, contacting tourism bu- bureaus and saying, showing them my photos and saying, hey, um, you know, do you have any opportunities? And I would contact a magazine on spec and say, if I go, I, I, I spoke about spec on both sides. I would tell the tourism bureau that I had a magazine on spec and I would tell the um, the the magazine that I had a tourism bureau or a funding on spec. <laughs> I love it, yeah. <laughs> and both of them gave me letters of approval and um, based on the photos – and everybody's a great photographer now on Instagram. So, but at the same time, therefore, there's more competition. Right. But people are, you know, so it's it's a double two-edged sword. Um, that allowed me um, to get free flights, free uh, tours, free lodging. It was pretty awesome, you know. So went all over to Croatia, to Iceland, but alongside that, um, because of my Oh, wait, I have to back up um, because while the travel was – I was going to go from the travel to even in, to, to, into becoming travel bum. But in order to become travel bum, there was a big thing, which was women and getting into fashion photography. So while I had that show in um, New York, I was like, okay, well, what can you do besides travel photography that allows you to make a living and not be dependent, you know, on moving so much because you can't always get uh, a free trip and you can't always be traveling. I need to work on a more sedentary kind of photography. And so what was there to photograph? Oh, well, I love women. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started uh, my first photography mentor was a guy called Raphael Mazzucco. And I met him at a, a party, at like a model party that I kind of just wiggled my way into because my sister knew a guy who knew an artist. And I went over to his house and it was like 4 a.m. Most people had left except for these two really hot models, the host, and this dude, Raphael Mazzucco, who was sleeping on the floor, passed out from who knows what. And I was I'm talking to this really hot model. And I'm like, you know, young and fresh, and I want to like get photography help. I'd like to do fashion, maybe. I don't know what even. Um, and she's like, well, you should talk to him. I'm like, yeah, I should talk to him, the dead guy on the floor. <laughs> and um, so she gave me his um, his contact, his address, and I literally a couple of days later rocked up, knocked on the door, and I should back up. I should say, Raphael Mazuko had shot multiple covers of Sports Illustrated. Um, swimsuit. He's shot multiple Victoria's Secret, multiple Bergdorf Goodman, Ralph Lauren, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think he's mostly just doing his own fine art now, painting and stuff. But at the time, he's a big deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, this guy was like, he was sending, um, he was turning uh, model agencies into psychiatry, psychiatric wards, because they would go to um, uh, like Mexico, for a week in the wintertime to shoot the spring or summer uh, campaigns. And they would send a different girl every two days for a different editorial spread, right? They didn't need all the girls at the same time, but in order to maximize um, the wintertime uh, shoot or the travel, they would send, they would go on one trip and send multiple girls at different times. And he would, um, 
what was the word in English? He would um, uh, copulate, romance, seduce each one, one by one, and then they would go back to to the to the model agency and all share their story of love and ultimately heartbreak, finding out that the other girl had had the same. Um, scenario. So he would turn these modeling agencies into psychiatric wards. Um, anyway, so this guy, you know, was like the first man that I met who had zero ego, um, without any like meditation or anything. He's just constantly in a state of bliss, you know, just constantly exuding inclusion. Everybody is included. Everybody's and everything is love, you know? And I don't know whether unconsciously or consciously that became something for me. It certainly wasn't something that I could just adopt intellectually. It took years of meditation and even to the point of uh, physiologically arousing bliss or chi or kundalini in my body where I could feel that good feeling all the time. And maybe this is a moment to relate the boat experience. Um, We had that the boat experience together and uh, I felt really loved and I felt a lot of love for the girls and I don't know did you think that that was that worked for me uh yeah I think so for sure I mean we asked all the girls you know what did you think of the guys and they overwhelmingly loved you the most (laughs) so um you know you I think you were putting out the most love that's what it seemed like to me. So this is an interesting thing. I mean, it really had little to do with agenda or wanting to score or whatever. It was the love that was shared out there was, wasn't was something that I created for some papier-mâché or something. I really feel so much love in my own body, like viscerally, that that without like agenda ends up being shared. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like, this is what I wanted all my life. And it's what I want for all my students um, as well. I want them to feel uh, a level of, firstly, steadiness. that They're not just like looking around, but they can trust in that steadiness of self, which is what I got when that girl dumped me. That sense of coming home and then cultivating that to feel so good not only about yourself as an idea, but literally through the stillness translating into a feeling of depth, right? Sensory depth. And that sensory depth becomes love. Yeah. So this has been my great, you know, teaching or my great learning, my great learning. So he had that. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a different and cool approach, kind of the opposite of what a lot of guys fall into with pickup. You know, and uh, I bring that up because I think there's a lot of guys who listen to the show that have found it through pickup. Um, but it's really the, almost the antithesis. Like instead of trying to go out and conjure something up to impress a girl or to win her over or to to score, you're you're really doing the opposite. You're first you're working on yourself, and you're getting to a place where you know you're no longer. <laughs> have your ego running in the background and you're no longer comparing yourself to others and you know just doing all the bullshit in your head and then you're just sharing love and what do you know you get love back and that's that's really been my experience as well uh unfortunately i went through i don't know six or seven years of pickup to get there well i don't even i I can't even say unfortunately maybe more fortunately because that was 
the only way I would have gotten there, I think. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's, that's exactly, you know, when, when I tell people or they ask me like about these boat trips, um, you know, what, what did you guys do on the boat? What, what, what's going on? It's like, well, we're hanging out and it's a very loving environment. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you can take that for whatever it's worth without getting into details. But, uh, no, I just, I just wanted to, to reference that, um, it's a, it's a really cool kind of story arc, um, yeah. you know, that I think that I hope people listening can relate to. Um, and I'm, I'm curious going back to gonna tell us a little bit about the travel bum series yeah. and shooting that. And, uh, well, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to with this, oh, yeah. with this story. Mm-hmm. So before we do that, I want to say that, um, you know, like to me, you, are the master of calibration, the master of all the rules. Like you've mastered all the rules, and I think you've integrated them beyond just like, um, what do you call it? Like uh, them being rules. Mm-hmm. Like you've really, that, that it would be for the pickup artist. Uh, I think you've embodied fully like how not to overextend yourself, um, how to react or not react. To a woman, and um, and it's an interesting thing because um, there are people that we both know that have talked to me, you know, extensively about like, um, well, Robbie's like this, and you're like this, and how, and so it's really it's it's great because, and we're just it's it's different. Yeah. So for me, what I found is the well, rules. I'm sorry, yeah, to cut you off. It's really interesting that you said that because that's how I've felt. For a long time, but no one's ever told me that. So it's it's great feedback. I appreciate that, um, yeah. and I really feel like that's something that I've just all of my experience and all of the work that I've done in this field of study. Um, that's kind of where it's led me, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's cool. So I appreciate I appreciate you seeing that in me, um, and it, it was also funny about the the people we know that said they're like, yeah, you're over here and he's over here, and I don't know what's gonna yeah. happen. But- <laughs> so, right. yeah. so you, you, you have the, the the beautiful balance. See, I was never as analytical at the beginning. I became so um, in in work through work through coaching. I've had to understand how people think and then introduce them to a way of being that transcends just thinking. But um, there are other people who approach it from a more um, intellectual or analytical way, um, as you must have probably at the beginning, like, where am I? I don't relate. I'm learning about pickup. Um, but then going from there and getting so good at that through experience that it becomes second nature. It becomes embodied. And so you really have that. So anybody that wants to train with you, you are terrific at um, breaking things down Um uh, the way that I've approached it is um, like all the elements of, oh, what's the rule here? What's the 101 on um, telling a girl that she's the most beautiful girl you've ever seen or the most beautiful girl on the boat? Or I want to have sex with you more than any other girl on the boat because maybe that will make her feel that she's special. Should I say that? Should I not say that? <laughs> this kind of thing, you know? Right. And my, my feeling, or the way that I have done it is – absolutely getting over uh, all these rules by feeling so good about myself 
so that I don't have to think about the right behavior because whatever comes out is going to be right because, and they see that. They see that I'm feeling good. So yeah. whatever it is, is right. And this automatically eliminates the, the nice guy problem. The nice guy problem is what should I do? I'm here and I want to get there. And in order to get there, I have to calibrate, calculate, or do this and do that, you know? Um, and if I don't, I'm fucked. So that's the nice guy's problem. He's trying to become more of a bad guy, you know, bad boy. For me, I haven't had to, and you're the master at that, but you've embodied it. So you really have, that's the beauty about Robbie is that it's not just how do I, if you're still in the middle stage, you're saying, well, what kind of a douchebag do I need to be? And what kind of a player do I need to be? <laughs> right, yeah. That's that's still the beginner, you know? So for me, I sort of bypassed that or used um self-realization as the the antidote for doubt and uh, intellectual calibration i sort of put it in the center of how what what should i do intellectually i put myself that feeling of ground zero right in right there so that everything that i do is um going to be seen as can be generous, but at the same time held in reserve. I'm not overextending because I've collected myself. I found a home. You yeah. Know? I, I have a funny story that one of the girls shared with me on the boat. Um, I don't think you know that I know this, and I don't remember which girl it was who shared it. I, I, I swear, I have no idea. I, I, I feel like it could be like three <laughs> or four, but it was something along the lines of. You proposed to her. I think you had already had sex or maybe you were having sex, but you proposed, let's have sex the first time like we're like we're totally in love. And when I heard the story, I thought it was fucking awesome. First of all, because it's like just to even try to to introduce that as a concept takes like, you know, some huge balls. Um and you never know what sort of reaction you're going to get from that. You might you might get the yeah, let's fucking do it. And then. You're probably gonna fall in love during that <laughs> during that session, or you might get a like, "Whoa, slow down!" But but then she's gonna be thinking about it. That that's the part that I loved is even I, I don't know. Like I said, I really don't remember who it was or if it happened or if it didn't. But the fact that she told me and the way that she told me wasn't like, a, "Ew, I couldn't believe he he proposed this." It was more like, a, "I can't believe you proposed that," and maybe I should have done it or I we did do it. I don't know, but. That that was a really. Uh... <laughs> well, I'll tell you, yeah. love, love creates love, and yeah. so I said, and we entered. It was a role play, mm -hmm. but you cannot get away from it when you're looking at somebody in the eyes, and it's like, I love you, baby, and she's like, I love you, baby. You create something. You do. <laughs> it sounds like it might be like just fake acting. But in that moment, and then I'm like touching her and she's like, oh, and she's letting herself. It gave her permission to jump three, four months, maybe years ahead of um, where you would be from, uh, the first time you have sex with somebody. Yeah. It allowed her to be like in love. And uh, I felt it. You know, it's like people think love only love only comes after you know somebody for a while. I remember a great master said, is it not love when the dog when a dog smells the asshole of another dog? So, meaning you go after the, you go after the thing that you like and yeah. you feel it. When I see a woman on the street, I'm like, oh my god! Of course, responsibility, 
um, lifestyle. These allow you to build trust and build safety that creates the feeling of being in love, where you have what they call object constancy, where that person lives in your heart uh, over time. But at the beginning, it's just like, oh my God, I feel a strong infatuation. Own people say infatuation isn't love. Of course it's love. It's just not the love of certainty. It's not the love of predictability. And yes, of course, love changes. But yeah, my experience is being in love is having a common sense of lifestyle, a, co- a shared sense of how we're going to live, how we're going to do the laundry, how we're going to cook together. And then out of that comes the feeling of safety, predictability, and whatever. And then you're, yeah, you're in love, but that's just a, a structural development of that initial feeling of attachment or longing, you know, uh, that becomes more developed. So where, where were we? Something more important, probably. So there I was in New York and um, had this show, met this guy. He's the mentor, photography mentor. And, um, but at the same time, I had out of this need for connection, this, again, this terror of feeling separate, it's somehow like it's the greatest blessing in the world. If you're afraid, if you want to connect with people, um, and if you find a way to use that as the way to get close, it's the greatest fucking blessing. All we want, like when, when I have a student, all he wants is to, um, uh, meet a girl. All he's afraid of is meeting a girl. It's the craziest contradiction. Yeah. So that fear, that fear for me became uh, a catalyst. So I started walking up to well, I was walking up to girls. I started walking up to girls, and then my friends would say, oh "My God, like you should fucking record this." So I got this camera and I started recording recording my approaches. And um, how long ago was this? Were there other people uh, doing? In field stuff like that. You weren't doing it for pickup. You were just doing it for just to, to fucking do it, right? Because I was doing. What's I don't that? think any. I don't think anybody was doing it. I mean, I could be wrong, but we're talking about uh, 1990. Yeah, no one was doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, or maybe one. Yeah, maybe the early, very early 2000s. Um, yeah. First time I did any infield bullshit was like, you know, 2003, 2004. But that wasn't, yeah. it, it, you know, I don't think it was on the level that you were doing it. So, yeah. So I started, you know, recording it. And then it was about like, I had this show that was going to go into production uh, with Showtime and then uh, Unilever, Axe, Body Spray was going to sponsor. But for different reasons, everyone got squeamish, especially in the States with like advertising. And, um, and now I'm doing a more holistic thing. Like um, at the time, it was the pickup, the date, the clothes. It wasn't about travels per se and learning the dating customs around the world. Um, but the pickup, the date, and the clothes. And... Um, you know, having a real first-hand voyeuristic experience of a guy going through that process, it was, you know, I had a great response. I had millions of views on Vimeo. The account came down because one girl complained after having signed. And then um, she's like, oh, I don't know if I want to be on this. And then they took it down. And I put it up again, and they took it down again. I was like, well, well, well I'll just keep putting it up until they blocked my account completely. So... That's what happened with that. It was a crazy. So can you still watch just... it? Because I remember I watched it a couple of years ago with Liam. He showed it to Which me. One? 
uh, the, just the, a couple of the episodes of okay. Travel Bum. Yeah, there's a few things on YouTube now. They don't have nearly the same amount of views, but uh, on YouTube, yeah, I think Travel Bum Production has some videos up there. But th- those early videos uh, are not, and that wa- the ones that were really viral are not. But they will come back. Um, the reason they are not back is that I'm concentrating on um, being more of a journalist, less of a first-person uh, hoe um, mm-hmm. right now, so that for many reasons. One reason is that I was really catering to guys and their need for connection. Now um, I want just as much for girls to be like, oh, wow, I want to be on your show because I'm working with celebrities now and girls with millions of views on Instagram, and they have to feel like um, – I'm telling a story that's uh, more objective, uh, unbiased. It's just I'm telling their story. You know, yeah. It's a journalistic role that I have now. Uh, and I'm happy to play that. Uh, I'm really enjoying that, learning about other people rather than just going through my own catharsis of love. Even though The Andrew Show is still very much uh, related to that. But it doesn't have the sex tourism stench that the Travel Bum Show had, which was ultimately the... the uh, the problem for advertisers. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, I think I'm trying to deliver something now that's more about the inner journey. So I think that's more relatable. Uh, anyway, so Travel Bomb Show, there I was traveling a bunch. I went to all these continents, all these countries, and um, it was fantastic. You know, it was fantastic to learn about different places places to see the nuances so different like each place even each city within a country can be different but if you go to latin america each country is certainly so different there are commonalities but just amazed to see uh, so many nuances and then you have you know like commonalities between let's say like eastern europe and latin america in terms of the macho qualities the pride the strong sense of um uh, sexual polarity where the women are very feminine, the men are very um, macho or uh, seemingly seemingly macho. They're the provider. There's that romantic illusion. Whereas in America or Scandinavia, yeah, there's a strong sense, stronger sense of gender equality. Um, so that the uh, you know it's it's just different the way that a relationship um, escalates. The less sense of like um, the man as provider as suitor, um, and and less romantic delusion uh, in a way. Even though we still have a crazy American dream and the idea of finding the one, which you don't have in Scandinavia because of so much uh, gender equality. The women are so independent; they have a high level of. Um, single mothers, but it's also been shown that the lack of romance there uh, leads to, or sorry, the amount of uh, independence. So yeah, just, it's been shown, studies have shown that the greater the sense of independence that a woman has, the greater the gender equality, which I'm all for, but it just happens to be um, a byproduct of gender equality is that romance and relationships, uh, people are much less happy sexually um, when when there is less sense of sexual polarity. Yeah. Uh, it's it's I've interesting. That's for sure, and that's why I'm living in Eastern Europe at the moment. Yeah. 
But at the same time, and as compared to America, in a place like Scandinavia, the people are so shameless about sex. They fuck for fuck's sake. And so they go to the club. Because there's so much gender equality, the women are so independent, the women will just say, hey, you want to have sex? Yeah. And because sex is so free and open, what what you can find is that um, there's less shame around it and less manipulation. The men are less on an agenda, which you have strongly in America. But you also have that in South America as well, with an enormous amount of cheating. But anyway, there's a strong... In North America, uh, Scandinavia, there's uh, a lot more um, sense of the woman as striving to be equal, which can be... Um, can affect a lot of the sense of um, the adventure, the romantic uh, adventure. Yeah, I found for sure. I've uh, like you. I've traveled all over, and I've noticed these things as well. And uh, yeah, it's you know, I I, I kind of see uh, New York City as like the epicenter of just casual sex. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's anywhere you can go out, and you know, just likely get laid man or woman new york yeah, is yeah. a place to be uh, <laughs> and you, when you compare that to brazil or uh, ukraine you know it's the it's not that you can't in either of those places but it's just a different experience for sure that's such an interesting thing um with with new york because the women also want that equal right to just have sex but it's um, but they're offsetting something else, which is their real desire for a romance in the construct of the American dream. So what you get is a reaction, a really weird reaction, where the girl will have sex with you. She'll try to bring you oftentimes back to her place from oh, the so club. So many times, yeah. So that she has more control. Uh-huh. And she dumps you before you have a chance to dump her, um, which is not the case in Eastern Europe or even in Scandinavia, where you don't have that reactivity. It's mm-hmm. not reacting. So on the one hand, it's very liberal in New York, but on the other hand, it's it's riddled with the reactivity about being um, done wrong in the construct of uh, coupling up, romantic coupling up in the American dream. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I could talk about this stuff for hours and hours, but it's, it's you know, the nuances. There's very few guys in, in the world that understand these things, right? It, very well-traveled guys like you and I that I happen to encounter quite a bit, and I'm sure you do too on all of our adventures. But, uh, you know, it's a really interesting, interesting time, you could say. And uh, I see some of the, you know, some of the feminism and some of the the gender roles creeping in over here in Ukraine as well. So it'll be it'll be interesting in 10 or 20 years, you know, how it all shapes out to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I should say, I should say that uh, equality in itself is terrific. It's the reactions. It's becoming institutionalizing anything in an inorganic way, in a non-natural way, in a reactive way, um, where things, and there's many strains of feminism, but the ones that are really reactive um, at the expense of femininity um, are obviously problematic. And I think any woman who thinks about it carefully would not want to be seen as um, unfeminine. She wants to enjoy her femininity and so on. Um, so when something becomes an institution, a reactive institution, uh, it's problematic. But the, the, the gesture in itself from the outset, which is to reclaim equality or to come by a kind of uh, work equality, to come by a kind of a voting equality. Uh, these things in themselves are terrific. So. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know there's definitely benefits to both. 
And I love talking to women from Eastern Europe that have been to America that can see both sides and, and get their viewpoint from it, compare right. that to, uh, you know, to American women and, and so on and so forth. I had an interesting conversation with a girl last night about it. Um, but, uh, changing gears for a second, I want to ask you more about your show. Um, cause I, I saw the, I don't know what you call that. The, is it the first episode or the 30 minute smorgasbord of, of insanity? Um, it was it was really cool, really interesting. Which um, show? Which show? The, the one you sent me. You the, yeah, the, the way Andrew you're in show. Miami, the Andrew show. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So just to to give the listeners an idea, um, what is the show exactly? Because it's you're living in a in not a hotel, but it's basically like a hotel in Miami with like it is a hotel. It is a hotel. Oh, it is a hotel. Okay, whatever hotel it is, um, you're living in a hotel. You're vlogging about what you're doing there's constantly you know it's miami so the crazies everywhere there's girls insane stuff you're always in a bathrobe i love it um so what's the show about and how's the quest to i know there's a a millionaire quest in there as well um Mm -hmm. tell us more okay well in the first place the show is just a, a vlog that i could fire out more quickly um, than the other shows. The other shows required scheduling, uh, having uh, um, not a host, but the opposite of a host, a, uh, a talent, I don't know. Um, coordinating stuff and then editing with a certain kind of um, format. This ultimately, the Andrew show will ultimately have a format, but it really was the idea of just shooting it out. It was kind of like my uh, Snapchat story but because i really like telling stories i ended up editing it more and it it'll end up being a formatted uh, busy thing anyway but it, it doesn't have to be and it's just the idea of getting shit out there and showing what i'm doing in my life because people were like oh my god your life is crazy you can share it as entertainment and you can maybe even monetize it one way or another so that's where it came from um then the um, the goals, uh, like um, I'm living, I moved in with $5 or $10 in my pocket, um, rockstar DNA and a dream to become, and a promise to become a millionaire by the end of the year. So I moved into this place and I was renting out the um, front of the, uh, it has two bedrooms or two rooms, one bedroom. And then the front, I put a bed in there and was renting it out on Airbnb. So I have like, not in the first episode, but I have like, guys and really cute girls sometimes just girls from college coming staying in the in the front and um, paying my rent yeah because it's got a um the place has uh is owned some of the units are owned and so you can rent them out i almost got a place there as well okay (laughs) the the hotel that will go nameless (laughs) (laughs) in south beach uh, so that worked i mean i was living there and just shooting and editing and having girls usually i, I had on my ad i say females only just because you don't want like schlongs everywhere all the time you know yeah of course um so what's what's your vision for the show or what are you trying to portray and the reason why i ask it's uh i'm at i don't know if you can relate to this but i feel like maybe we're in a, a bit of a similar path or place in life where I'm, I'm, you know, I have my dating coaching business. I do some of that. 
Uh, I also have this insane lifestyle, which you witnessed on the party, uh, on the boat party, which is kind of my lifestyle day in and day out, just not as intense. Um, so part of me wants to document that a bit, but I don't have the, uh, you know, the capability of shooting and editing and all that background that you have. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, it, it, there's like too much crazy shit going on all the time that I feel like this needs to be, this needs to be documented. This needs to be somewhere. Right. And, and I'm guessing you have a similar sort of, uh, <laughs> there's something about that. Yeah, your Snapchat or your Instagram stories are among the best I've ever seen. Oh, thanks, man. That's so, how I, that's how I'm going about it at the at the moment. Just trying to. <laughs> it's just audience. I mean, I don't know how many followers you have, but it's just a some kind of blitz guerrilla advertising or something would would catapult you into that. I mean, it's extremely watchable. Maybe what there isn't is we don't know enough about the star if there is a star mm-hmm. we don't we're not following anybody or anything and that's what the andrew show does it, it it tells these stories but it puts a um you know it's called the fucking andrew show it's right. about being narcissistic <laughs> lost trying to work out his own shit you know and at the same time i love how authentic the- it is it's really authentic uh mm-hmm. you know that that episode i watched it's just so funny because you're just you the whole time you're like yeah i'm hanging out i'm in my bathrobe i'm i'm here i'm there it's just it's just great you know uh <laughs> and how do you feel when you put that content out there because i i know there's you know maybe a lot of people that are like oh my life is like even i think that like my life is too boring to put this shit out there but then i'm like no I have one of the most crazy lives. <laughs> yeah, you, you do. You do. We all have that inner voice, though, that you know, that talks shit and says like, "Oh, I don't know about this." I don't know. You know, because you really to to you really have to kind of bear all. It's that thing again. You, you don't know where the crazy songs, the, the great songs, come from. You make something, you video it, and it's like it's it's bigger than you. And the stuff that you video, Robbie, is is huge. I mean, we're seeing social dynamics, we're seeing relations, we're seeing hot girls. It's really compelling. It's really compelling. So, what was the question? Uh, oh, I yeah. think you How answered you it. <laughs> but I mean. The go- the thing that I'm trying to do is we live in this social media environment where if things – how do I feel about it? I'm terrified in some ways. My mo- my poor mother, you know, what is she going to think you know, <laughs> about – but I think we live in a time where it's valid, um, where it's validated by uh, audiences and followers and advertising. Yeah. So totally. there's, there's a place for it. There's definitely people following it. I mean, it's, uh, so, so what's, uh, aside from the shows, um, we have to say, by the way, I haven't launched any of the shows. I haven't launched okay. the Andrew show, the, the Baytime stories, which is what is wrong and right going on in the bedroom. Um, and the Instagram story, who are the hottest girls or most interesting people on Instagram. Ultimately, right now I'm starting with women because it's a good entry point. It's a watchable, it's a catchy entry point. And then the other one is using psychedelics to look at love and relationships. Um, I haven't launched any of them, so I don't know when this is coming out. But um, and I went from millions of views to like a couple thousand Instagram followers. So, or, or my Andrew Lindy has 1,000 Instagram followers. Same as me. So, 
I'm uh, I'm excited to see where these shows go. I mean, if if you were going to pick three shows that could possibly get my attention as a you know as a viewer who wanted to watch it, like you nailed all three. Those are like the three things I'm the most interested in. <laughs> at the so you've got a listener out of me or a watcher or viewer. Um, so yeah, uh, one one thing I like to ask my all my guests is what's the what's your favorite book or most influential book and why? Oh shit, man! You know, ugh, I've read so many different things. I'm not reading much these days at all. Um, I am reading a book by my former Zen teacher that right now is speaking to me deeply, and it's just called uh, "What More Do You Want?" and uh, and this kind of relates to. You know, if you're if a millionaire loses everything, what does he have? Well, he has everything. You know, finally, he's not dependent on his millions. He has everything, and uh, so it looks at that from a spiritual point of view. So not just like psychological or intellectual money, but really, what is this thing that you already are? What is awakening? Looking at that, so I'm just reading that right now, and um, it's a great teaching tool. Um, but in general or over overall, what have been the greatest uh, books? It's so hard to say. Always reading something that I need to read, it serves me in that moment. I remember reading like and enjoying, uh, what was that, uh, uh, The Gas Station, Dan Millman's Warrior. Was it Warrior at the Gas Station or something like that? Not sure. uh, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Oh, okay. You know, as Warrior a young man... <laughs> <laughs> he lives at a gas station. He works at a gas station. Oh, he does. Okay. Peaceful Warrior yeah. was like it was like a it was playful. It was, at the time that I read it, um, it's kind of like a, a lay person's pop cultural journey of spirituality. I don't know if I'd recommend it per se, but you could come across that at the very beginning. Reading Narcissus and Goldman by Herman Hesse as a young man was very. Influential because it looks at at that time I was like should I go inwards and become like an ascetic just focus on myself or that's the narcissist character or is it the the other character who is trying to find himself spiritually by having sex with as many women as possible <laughs> so you have these two characters what is this book called narcissist what narcissist and Goldman and ultimately. Um, Well, you realize as a reader, one ought to realize as a reader, reader, that these are the same people, that the inner journey and the outer journey, and ultimately the the inner journey gets thrown away. We we see that um, the guy who's looking inwards prefers the guy who's really living his life. And that's that story. And everybody's journey is going to be different, but to see that they're the same person is really important. So as a young man, that was a very informative um, book for sure uh you know yeah I'd, I'd like to read that one it sounds very Herman interesting has, i've studied a lot i think it's them. a young man's book but i think that yeah it was very informative for me i'll find the link and put it in the in the notes as well so dude it's been so awesome having you on the show um is there anything else that uh you wanted to touch on before we go or um also where can people find all of your shows and um, and another thing too, I, I've seen Andrew coach, uh, multiple guys in New York city and he's an amazing coach. If anyone wants to work with him, I can't recommend to him enough. Um, so where can guys find you and work with you and, you know, 
take all of this in? Let's see. Uh, again, because nothing's been launched, um, but you can go to Andrew Lindy is the um, Instagram. You can DM me there. Uh, you can send a message to info at travelbumshow.com. Um, and everything's going to be launched. You know, the andrewshow.com is going to be the go-to website. You can go there and sign up. Okay. That's, you should do that. So it's called theandrewshow.com, and that will be the umbrella housing all the shows uh, as far as I can see right now. And right now there's a sign-up there, but um, it's uh, there's just placeholder videos there at the moment. So you got to hang in there for the goods. Otherwise, Robbie, I mean, to answer your question, I just look forward to spending more time with you. We had such a great time on the boat. Uh, I think we could continue telling these stories and um, – bringing people into uh, more aspirational living. I think so, too. We should uh, talk about the castle. But uh, <laughs> um, anyways, it's been awesome having you on, and uh, I look forward to the next time I get to see your uh, beautiful face in person. And thanks for coming on the show. Good, brother. Thank you so much. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.